0: Good morning, I'm Brandon Barrett, lead pastor here at Grace Covenant. If you're visiting with us this morning, we're glad to have you here. For those of you that came in at about 1024 thinking you were early, I'm sorry. It was not a, uh, not a practical joke. We have moved to our summer service, uh, which will be 9 a.m. adult ed and 10 a.m. worship service. So that's happening for the rest of the summer. You don't, don't need to be uh, surprised next Sunday. And again, if you're visiting with us, we're, uh, you're coming to us right uh, virtually on the end of a series on the book of James. And we've been in the book of James for quite a while. And um, as we do, James is beginning to... He's, he's wrapping up the letter this week and in a couple verses that we're going to look at next week. So, and, you know, as you would when you were writing a letter... Many of us remember what it's like to write a letter, if you're typing an email. Uh, you know, you, uh, what, what, what do you do as you come towards the end? You, you, you start to come back to some of the most significant things. What do you want to leave these people with? Well, James is, is wrapping up for us this morning, and, and his argument that he's been making throughout James is going to come to some particular focus here this morning. So let's pray, and then we'll turn to that. That's going to be in James chapter 5. If you're using one of our pew Bibles, you'll find that on page 1013. And we'll be looking at chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. Let's pray. Father, we do come to you this morning, as always, in need of of hearing your word. And so we pray that you would speak to us. um, As James is going to open up for us um, in an in-depth way the, the topic of prayer, even now we pray, we ask that you would come and do your good work in us. Open your word to our hearts and open our hearts to your word. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. So we turn to it this morning. And as we said, James, James has covered a lot of ground in this, uh, in this letter, this book of James. I mean, he's, he started off talking about the trials and temptations that we all struggle with, uh, sickness and cares, suffering and struggling. In uh, all those categories of life, the extraordinary, the things that happen to us in life feels like it is utterly falling apart. And then the utterly mundane things, the everyday kinds of trials and tribulations that our lives are filled with. He speaks to us about all of these. Uh, he speaks about the, the use of the tongue and the way we relate with one another. All these big topics of, of the struggles that we have in life. And again, as he comes now to the end of the letter, what does he focus us on as we uh, kind of reflect over the things that he said? What's, what's he going to leave us with? If there's going to be one thing, if there's going to be one take-home for us as we try to absorb all the many things he said in this letter, what does he want us to carry away with? He wants us to know this, that we're to be a people who pray. We're to be a people who pray. He says, all this I've spoken to you about, your, your sufferings, your struggles, the use of your tongue, the ways community can so quickly fall apart if you don't care for one another. He says, most importantly, you need to know that you must pray. Okay, now... If you're a longtime church goer, you know this is when the prayer guilt begins to descend like a cloud. Okay, uh, because the truth is, and I don't want to minimize this at all. Some of us have very, uh, very deep and rich prayer lives. I know that some of you do, but uh, m- for most of us, this is an area of, of real struggle. It certainly is for me. And if you were to ask most of us, you know, how, how's your prayer life? Do you do you pray like you ought to, or pray ought to pray pray like you want to? And most people would say, no. I mean, I struggling. So you're, you're already coming to the conclusion of the sermon. I, I, I can feel it. You're thinking, okay, tomorrow's Monday. I'm going to get up and I'm going to pray. I mean, that's what he's going to, let's face it, that's what he's going to tell me to do. I'm going to get up and pray. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to sort of rivet it down. I'm going to be good and disciplined this time, and that's going to last me till about Wednesday, at which point I'm going to feel guilty again and stop and not pray so much, just like we do now. Okay, well, my desire is not to heap the prayer guilt on you or on me, but I think it's significant that james brings up the topic of prayer and at the very least we can say this james does it is my voice sounding strange all of a sudden okay maybe it's just me when i'm up here james does this for us because he knows we need encouragement why does he tell us to pray Why does he tell us to pray in the midst of all the struggles and stuff that he's brought up in this letter? Because he knows that we are people who struggle to pray. And he comes not with the shovel to load more guilt on our shoulders, but he comes to us and says, You, for me, we need to be people who pray. And it's an invitation to us. God would have us pray. James exhorts us to pray because he knows that prayer is something that we desperately need, and he offers it to us. It's a gift that he reminds us of. He encourages us. And so we're just going to see here in these, in these verses, he, he reminds us of, of why we are to pray, of when we are to pray, and of who is to pray. Okay, so why, when, and who. First, why are we to pray? Look with me again at verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Or if you're reading from the NIV, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Okay, why are we to pray? Because prayer is powerful. It does things. Prayer really actually affects change in the world. It has true power. Now, we don't always think about it this way. I mean, oftentimes when we think about the power of prayer, we, we, we largely think in uh, subjective terms. Okay, that, you know, if you pray, then, then God is going to use this to somehow bring, bring peace to you, which he certainly does. You know, when, we, uh, when we're, as we said last week, when, when we're at our last straw and we don't know what to do for somebody else, we say, we'll, we'll pray for you, that God would bring comfort somehow, and he he certainly does. But, but James wants us to know that it's not only that, that prayer not only has subjective power, it has objective power. It, it really does change things in the world, more specifically. The God to whom we pray really does change things. He really does work. He really is active You know, you hear sometimes, uh, especially in public settings, you'll you'll hear when people in times of great loss, you you know, you hear our thoughts and and prayers are with you. And sometimes those are equivalent in our mind, sort of good thoughts and prayers. And we know our good thoughts don't really change much, but do we remember that our prayers really can and really do? Because prayer is one of God's ordained means, one of his set-aside ways in which he brings real change in the world. It's one of the ways in which he actually does his work in the world. The way he actually brings change in our situation. The way he brings change in the world around us. The way he brings change we're going to see when someone is sick and suffering as we will see in a few moments. Now if you think about it for a second, God didn't have to do it this way. He didn't have to include us at all. You know, For instance, when we pray, we are not filling God in on information to which he was not already privy. You know, oh, Lord, let me pray for this family member who is sick. Really? I'm so glad you brought that to my attention. Or, Lord, I'm struggling with this in my life, or I'm feeling oppressed by this, or I've lost my job, or my children are strained, or we're not bringing information to God that he doesn't already know. And God could have, and sometimes certainly does, acts aside from our prayers. He doesn't have to wait for us to come and ask him for something before he does it. So why pray? I mean, that's a good, legitimate question. A couple of answers to that. One, Scripture first to last exhorts us to. It tells us to. It invites us to. But here's why. Because God has chosen to allow us to be a part of His work in our lives and the lives of the people around us. He's chosen to include us. He didn't have to. He's chosen in His sovereign power to say, I'm going to use the prayers of my people to unleash my work in the world. Some things will happen because my people come at my bidding and pray to me. We get to be a part of his great work. Didn't have to do it that way, but he invites us in that we might be a part of his work in the world. And you think about the ways in which, among other things, this unites us to our God. The way it draws us or can draw us to him in relationship. Uh, he, He means for our prayers to be a part of our intimacy with him. Now think about this, if if you have kids, and if not, come over to dinner at my house sometime, you'll experience this. But uh, we'll we'll be having dinner in the middle of the meal, one of our children will say, more water. To which we say, huh? And they'll start to get, I want more water. Fantastic, I am so excited to hear about the longings of your heart. And we sit there a little while longer please, may I have some more water? <laughs> I'd love to get up and give you some water. Yes. What are we doing? Well, not merely taking our children through the paces, though it is sort of fun to do that sometimes too. <laughs> um, want our children to learn what it means to ask. To ask. And When, when I do that with my kids, I, I think at least that I'm doing that for their good. Because I want them to know that uh, mommy and daddy are not just a vending machine and you hit the button and out pops the product. But we are their parents and we love them and we're in relationship with them. And so when they have a need, they come and ask because they come to their parents who love them. And want to be intimately tied with them in life. We think it's for their good that we might be people who are grateful who know that we don't receive things at random in this world, but they come to us from the hand of a sovereign and loving God. And so he invites us to come and to ask. And we need this. We need this kind of connection with our God, and we need the power of God to which prayer connects us. You know, I I honestly struggle with prayerlessness myself and think of how far I can go down any given road or any given project or any given day without really thinking, you know, I need I need to pray. Not just I should pray, but I need to. This is foundational to the way God works. When I come to those, those points, I often think of this quote of Martin Luther's, uh, who was so rich in quotes, both real and apocryphal, but well, this is I'm one of the two. But he said something like this You know, he, he said, There is so much that I have to do today. So much in the care for my congregation, the needs of the people around me, so much that is demanded of me. He says, I don't know how I can make it through this day without at least three hours of prayer. And I hear that and I think, I don't know how in the world I can make time for three hours of prayer. Don't you know how much I have to do? I mean, I think about it for myself the opportunities that I have as a pastor and we have as a congregation for the need for the gospel to be brought to our city, for the need for the goodness of the gospel to be brought to us, our own congregation, for the ways many of you are struggling in situations in your life, in marriages and health and all kinds of things that I have the privilege of being a part of. I want more and more of this to be my reaction. How can I possibly get through this? How could I even dream of stepping into this day without significant time praying, first of all, what about for you and the things that life brings to you every day and will bring to you even tomorrow? Your own struggles in your marriage, your own struggles maybe with a child in school, maybe a wayward child, maybe one that's struggling to learn, maybe a child that you look at them and think, I just don't think this person, this kid, this this child of mine understands the goodness of God's love for them and I feel like they're walking away. The struggles with work, Find yourself in the grips of an oncoming midlife crisis. All those things Do we have this kind of response? This has the power to crush me. I cannot step into it today without praying. I cannot step into it today without really coming before our God and Father and seeking out His aid, of laying my life before Him, of asking Him to be at work. I don't have the wisdom to do this. I don't have the strength that it takes. I don't know what my child needs. I don't know how God might put this back together at work. I don't know how God might work in my marriage, but I know that He is God and He is good. And so I must pray because our prayers have power. God is seeking relationship with us. First to last, that's the story of the Bible. Him coming to seek and save that which is lost. Drawing us into relationship as he pours his power into our life, it so often comes through the avenue of prayer because he wants us to know him and know him intimately. And that would be the source of power for us. Okay, so that's um, why we're to pray because prayer is powerful. When? When are we to pray? I want to see what we see here in verse 13 and 14. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. In very short order, uh, James goes through th- three character- or three experiences of life in which we're to pray. And his overall point is that when are you to pray? Always. At every turn. Everything that life brings your way. First, you know, he says, Any- is anyone among you suffering? He is casting his net wide. And again, this is a word he's used in the first couple chapters of James. He talks a lot about suffering. Is anyone of you suffering? in any of suffering's many appearances in our lives. He's going to talk about health specifically in a minute, but all those relational kind of struggles, all those personal kind of struggles. Does anyone feel their family falling apart? Is anyone struggling at work? Is anyone struggling with the voices in their own head? Is anybody struggling with that with that seeping darkness that seems to be taking you over? He says, is anyone suffering and struggling? Then let him pray. Let him come and bring his needs to our Father and all the experiences of life. And as we said last week, as we spoke briefly about prayer, is this first reaction for us or is this last resort? We'd be a people in the middle of our suffering who come and come quickly to pray. And then the second thing, second situation he brings into view, he says, is anybody cheerful? Let them sing songs of praise. And songs of praise are a form of prayer. When we we sing hymns together, when we sing songs of praise together in a setting like this on a Sunday morning, those are uh, vocalized prayers. For some of us, they sound beautiful. For others of us, they sound like it sounds when I'm singing on the front row here. But we are singing praise. And it is a prayer. He says, if you are cheerful, bring that to God too. Every experience of your life. I was thinking about that this weekend. Elizabeth and I were in Pennsylvania yesterday. I uh, was able to had the uh, honor of performing a, a wedding for uh, one of our church members, a former William and Mary student, Ren Lucas, who many of you will remember. Uh, and as we were at that wedding... Prayers being offered of praise and thanksgiving. Us singing hymns together as a congregation with this couple who's being joined together in marriage. And the entire service, I've I've never done a wedding like this, entire service, you know, there they are hand in hand staring at each other right in front of me, bawling. I mean, from the first moment, both of them just crying their eyes out the whole way. And what I saw in that was two things. One, a, a joy. Is anybody cheerful? Is anybody rejoicing? Is anybody in the midst of the profound joy of the day of your wedding? And they cried and they beamed at each other in the midst of their singing as well. As they together were taking their joy, whether they were thinking about it consciously this way or not, but they were experiencing their joy in the presence of God as they sang sang praises to Him. Is anybody cheerful? Sing praise. Give thanks your good father wants to hear your good praise because he's in relationship with us. But then, as you can see here in, in uh, verse 15 16, he turns and he spends, James spends the most of his emphasis on this. He talks about, about praying when we are sick. Again, verses 14 through 16. Is anybody among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. James thinks that this praying over the sick is incredibly important, so he spends a lot of time on it. And let me just say up front, there is a lot that I don't understand here. But let me also say there's a lot that James has for us here. So we're going to look and see. And, and people are very, um, if you read commentators on this, there's a, lot, there's a lot of variance in opinion on exactly what James is trying to get at here. What is the role of healing? How does that work? There are a couple of things at least that we can say. He says that if you are sick... Then you're to pray. And not only that, he says, if you are sick, then come to the elders of the church and ask them to pray for you. The elders of the church, the, the, the leaders that God has raised up in your, in the local church, he says, come to them and pray. And, and likely, the, the literal picture here is, you know, it says, let them come pray over you. It may well be the picture is of someone who is sick and bedridden and calls for the elders. And literally, they're standing around the sickbed praying for this person praying that this person would be healed. Uh, it says, let let them be anointed with oil in the name of the Lord. This would have been olive oil, uh, which was used in, in, in Scripture for lots of different things. Usually it has to do with some sort of setting apart. Kings were anointed with oil. Prophets were anointed with oil. And what's going on here, this, this is a part of the prayer, but this is not, this, it's not magic formula. It's not sort of the little magic rite that happens that affects the prayer. And in fact, if you're to read right past this statement about the oil, it says, you know, the, the prayer will bring about the healing. It's not the oil, it's the prayer. But like so many things, God gives us these tangible pictures of what he's doing and even in this action of somebody being being anointed with oil this 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 physical picture of being set apart by prayer now for a special prayer for God's healing it's it's a way of recognizing and setting apart and as we as elders have done this with many of, of you it strikes me too something about the physicality of that of of hands on each other of putting oil there as we do this outward symbol of this healing that we're asking for from God. And he goes on and says not only do you anoint with oil but you're to pray this prayer of faith verse 15 the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the lord will raise him up if he's committed sins he'll be forgiven. Now as you might be able to imagine, much harm has been done with this verse in in many people 's lives because maybe you you 've heard something like this well, maybe you prayed for healing and you weren 't healed well and maybe it means that your faith is not strong enough you know there's some there's some sort of doubt in the back of your mind, and if only your your faith was stronger, then God would listen and heal you well let 's just observe a couple things here one is these verses have nothing to do with the prayers of the person who is sick, at least in the way James presents it. He says, who asked the elders to come pray for you, and the prayer of faith that those elders pray over you. And this, as he explains this, he says, this, this is not tied to the prayer of the person themselves, but the prayer of the elders. Well, okay, that just pushes it back a step then maybe. Well, okay, let's make sure that our elders are people that never have any doubts in their mind and only pray this great prayer of faith. And some read this that way that if there's any sense of doubt, then that sort of shatters this picture of this perfect prayer of faith. Um, of the things that I've read on this, I haven't read any good answers, honestly. But here's here's what I think may may be closest to it. You know, there are times when God really does give a clear and profound sense of what he really is going to do. And that might be what's in view here. The times when, for instance, as a group of elders, and it doesn't only happen in that situation, a really profound sense of, you know, God not only can heal, but he is going to heal here. There's power present here that he would heal. Uh, One of the commentaries I was reading by a guy named Dan Doriani, who's a a Presbyterian pastor and and a professor at Covenant Seminary, And he tells the story about when he was an elder in the church uh, back when when he used to be a college professor. And and he said a friend of his who's very ill came to him and asked, came to the, the, the elders of the church and asked them to, to pray over him, he, he, he was. This was a life-threatening thing, and so as he says, you know, in good Presbyterian fashion, we set up a study committee and looked at the you know the question for about six weeks. And you know, he, he says, all this time I'm hoping my friend wasn't going to die before we finally got around to figuring it out. Because he said the elders in the church never did that, so they looked at this and tried to figure out what are we supposed to do. And they came to the conclusion: okay, well, we need to pray for this guy, and we need to you know, anoint him with oil, and we need to pray. So they called him in to pray, and they put their hands on him, and as they're praying. Uh, this professor, he says, I, I didn't tell anyone this at the time, but as we were praying, I felt like th- there, was, there was just energy coming through my arms. It felt like lightning coming all the way through my body. And I had this sense in that moment of God is healing this person. But again, being a good Presbyterian, he, he wasn't going to tell anybody that. <laughs> so he didn't, and he saw his friend a couple days later who was, I can't remember what the illness was. It was something debilitating, but this guy was He was healed. He was like, watch. And he runs up and down the stairs and uh, Doriani says, I know, I knew it in the moment. And the guy says, I did too. And he goes on to say, I prayed for many people with other elders over the years and that's never happened to me again. And we have seen people healed at other times. And sometimes God heals people and sometimes he doesn't. But he offered that as sort of this glimpse of there are these times when God makes it very clear that I am going to work right here and right now. And I am working. But I think if you look at scripture as a whole, what the prayer of faith can't mean is at the end of the day it is up to you or it's up to us as the elders just to somehow screw up enough faith that we can pray the right prayer so that we get the right magic result. Because in the Bible, we see people who are prayed for who aren't healed. I mean, even in Paul's letters, you hear him refer to traveling companions of his that were ill. Someone, one who almost died. He writes to his protege, Timothy, who's struggling with a stomach illness and uh, says, drink a little wine so you'll feel a little better. You know, that we, we see people, even in the early church, come to the point where they get sick and they, and they die. And that is a part of... The effect of the fall in our lives, that we are people who fall apart and die as we look forward to the day in which we will not die again. And we will be resurrected and we will be healed. So even in the Bible, it is never this A to B, uh, do this step and you will get this result from God. It is a much more nuanced relationship between God's sovereignty and the questions and the prayers we come and ask. But James does want us to know that God does have the power to heal. And sometimes he really does that in very miraculous ways. Sometimes he does it in very subtle ways. Sometimes it looks simply like the operation that someone goes through. Sometimes it happens in ways in which you say, I have no idea how that was healed. It was directly by the hands of God. And sometimes, as we know, sometimes he chooses not to heal. And often we don't know why that is the case. But James invites us and tells us to come and to pray. There is subtlety to this, but the way James phrases it, it's kind of in character for him. Because if you've noticed over these last number of months, James is anything but subtle. You know, your tongue is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. You know, James's pictures everywhere throughout are meant to jar us awake. And I think here he wants us to jar, to jar us awake and to say, we are to pray. And we're to come in faith, knowing that we have a God who can heal. And we ought to come in full confidence and ask and trust Him to do His good will in our lives. It's when we're to pray at every turn. But then he brings in this one other aspect of it as well, and I, we can't pass by this. He says, you know, and if the person has sinned, he will be forgiven. Okay, now what, what what's going on there? And he goes on and says, let's pr- you know pray for each other as well. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. I've had this conversation with some of you before too. Something drastic happens in your life and you think, did, did I, is, is this a result of my sin? Is God somehow punishing me for something that I've done? James brings up the possibility, as Scripture brings up in other places, that sometimes our sickness really is tied to sin in our life. Okay. Now James is also very clear that that's not always the case. I mean, notice what he says. He says, if someone has sinned, then he'll be forgiven. It's echoing what, uh, the way Jesus responded when uh, his disciples come upon this man who was born blind. And the disciples turn to him and they say, okay, Jesus, you know, who sinned? Was it this guy or was it his parents? that he was born blind. And Jesus says, neither one of them, this guy was born blind, that the power of God might be manifested in his life. And he goes on and heals him. And he says, you can't have this simple one to one relationship of there is sickness and healing or sickness and, and uh, disorder in your life and it must be caused by a sin. So scripture's clear that's that's not a blanket statement, but it also gives us in moments like this sort of a sobering reminder of every sickness, every struggle we have is a is a time to reflect. You know, Lord, what are you doing here? Is have I, have I, have, I contri- have I led myself into this? It's an appropriate time to say, you know, Lord, if there is sin tied to this somehow, show it to me that I might confess and I might repent. You know, but here's what here's what you don't want to now be at work in your life. Sort of the the sin version of Where's Waldo, right? Uh, and you're anxiously scanning your entire life thinking, if I can just uncover the right rock, God's hidden it somewhere. There's some sort of sin in my life. I probably didn't even realize that I did it. Stepped on a butterfly or something you're not supposed to do. Didn't even realize it, and God's afflicted me because of that. Okay, That's not the kind of morbid introspective introspection He sends us into, but rather simply this. Lord, you know, examine my life. Open it up for me. And as you see sin in your life, repent. Turn around. Remember that the gospel is true for you. Lord, forgive me. The only righteousness I claim is the righteousness of Jesus for me. I think James opens this possibility up for us not to frighten us, not to make us paranoid, but to just open up the very real possibility that our our lives as human beings are intertwined with our moral lives. As well. And so it's always a time to reflect. And he goes on and says this to the community. He says, look, pray for one another. And if you've sinned, confess your sin. And likely what James has in mind is, you know, if there are if you have sinned against someone around you, go and confess to him. Go own up to your sin. Make that relationship right. And he casts his net in such a way to say, you know, there are there are sicknesses in your community that really have at their root. Uh, relational breakdown between people in your church. If you're harboring bitterness, go and confess. If you have something against someone, go and confess that you might be healed. Now, I'm trying to, if you notice, I'm trying to walk this very careful line between, on the one hand, we need to take very seriously the effects of sin in our life, and we need to, we need to think about that possibility. And at the same time, I do not want you going home navel-gazing into your life in in a morbid way. Instead, you can come in full confidence before God and say, God, show me if there's stuff here you want me to see. The Holy Spirit is at work in God's people in order to convict and bring stuff to mind that we might confess it is not something that He is trying to hide from you, but in your sickness of any kind, just as in every circumstance of your life. He is using those things to draw you close. And so may we be people who pray. How do we apply this? Well, a couple things. When you're really sick, when your life is crashing down in that particular way, come ask the elders to pray for you, to anoint you with oil. Pray prayers of faith over you. We will do that. James tells us we should. We will do that gladly. And when you're sick and struggling, pray for each other. If you're sitting there today and you're thinking... I have this against that person, and I do not want to talk about it. Go and confess. Make things right. It's an invitation for us even today. Okay, that's when we pray. And lastly, who, who is to pray? Well, clearly everybody. I mean, he talks about uh, this is an exhortation to us. He talks about the elders praying. He talks about us praying for each other. But then you get this one verse, verse 16, you know, the prayers of a righteous person. Uh, the the prayer has great power, great. But here's what it says: uh, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. The prayer of a righteous person. Okay, where does that leave us? You know, maybe we could do a little uh, survey and we can identify the ones of us who are most righteous, and we can we can have those people pray for us. I mean, you can read it and really think that because surely God doesn't listen to me. When he speaks this to the church, it means you. When he says the the prayer of the righteous one, he is saying the prayer of any average believer in Jesus. He's talking to you. And he's talking to me. Listen to what this idea of being righteous. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. He says, For Jesus' sake I have suffered the loss of all things. Count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ." And be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Romans 3 says this, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Who are those who are righteous? They are those who have been made righteous, who have been made right. Who have been forgiven by Jesus, who have been given the dressing, the cloak of Jesus' righteousness laid on us, who could possibly pray these prayers and say, "Listen to me, Jesus, for I listen to me, God, for I am righteous." Well, in one sense, all of us as God's people can, we say, "Lord, I come to you dressed only in the righteousness of Christ, until I come boldly and I pray. I mean, he gives us an example of a prayer. Who, you know, who can pray these prayers? He talks about Elijah. If you're in Sunday school class, we've been talking about Elijah the last number of weeks. And Elijah who did these amazing and miraculous signs uh, as he was a, an Old Testament prophet doing these unbelievably, unbelievably powerful things in front of God's people. But what does is, what is James bring to mind for us? Elijah, he says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. He prayed, and it stopped raining for three and a half years, as he prays as God directs him in his office as a prophet. Okay, easy to look at that and go, I'm no Elijah. And in one sense, that's certainly true, but what does is, what is James point out about Elijah? He's a God just like us. He's a person with a nature just like ours. He is a righteous person, made righteous, just as we have been. Who can pray? People like Elijah. People like us can come and pray because we've got God's invitation. But at the end of the day, sometimes I still want people to pray for me. Don't you want that too? James exhorts us to pray for one another. And so as we are enabled to pray, we do need to remember that there are others praying for us. And most significantly, there is one praying for us who prays powerful prayers. Who is a righteous man. Who prays prayers like this outside of a tomb amidst a mourning crowd. Lord, be at work here. I pray this so that they will know. Lazarus, come out. One who comes and prays prayers as demons are cast out, as sins are forgiven, as people are healed. Because Jesus came and prayed. And He came and He prayed for us and He continues to do just that. Listen to what Romans 8.34 says. This is a remarkable verse for us. Paul tells us that Jesus died and he was raised again. And what is he doing now? He tells us he is seated at the Father's right hand, interceding for us, praying for us. We are a people who are being prayed for even this very moment. How can we have confidence to pray? Because we have received the righteousness of Christ. How do we find comfort in being prayed for by others? we remember first and foremost this, that Jesus is praying for us. He sees suffering, the trial, the cheerfulness, the sickness, and He is at work praying for us even now. We are not a people who are alone. We are not a people who are simply stumbling in the dark. And James doesn't simply say to us, come on now, start being disciplined And start praying more. Instead, he says, come and pray. Don't you see what is laid before us? Prayer is powerful. God uses it to do real things in the world. He comes to us and he says, we are invited and called to pray at every moment in our lives, in every circumstance of our lives, because God is listening and he is at work. And we are to come and we can pray because we've been made righteous in Christ. And because that righteous Christ prays over us even now. Even when you don't know the words to speak. Even when you barely know how to open your mouth. He is praying for us. And so we can be a people who pray as well. And who pray for each other. And who can be expectant in the midst of the struggles of life. In the sickness of life, who can be joyful in the cheerfulness of life as we live all of life prayerfully in the presence of our God. Let's pray. Father, we do come now and pray. Here we are, this little corner of the world in Williamsburg, Virginia, and you are listening to us right now as we pray. Lord, you hear the groans of our hearts, you see the sickness, you know the struggles. You know of the inner darkness. You see all of it. And you invite us to come and to pray. You promise to use our prayers for good. They are powerful because you are powerful. You call us to come and remember that our righteousness comes only from Jesus. So we can set aside our efforts. We can set aside our desire to be polished enough and perfect enough And just cease all our pretending, because it's to Jesus that we cling. He is the one praying for us, and it's because of Him that you hear our prayers even now. Meet us in our need. We are your people, and we cry out to you. Let the cheerful bring you their joy. Let the suffering bring you their needs. Let the sick bring to you their struggle, their desire for healing. and all of this, we pray to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Amen.